online and business. Voice America Business. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman, your host, and my guest uh, this uh, hour is Danny Kafke, uh, who's written a new book called How to Survive and Perhaps Thrive on a Teacher's Salary. Welcome to the show, Danny. Thank you so much. Let's just start off with the overall view about uh, not only teachers, but kind of middle to lower income kinds of people. What kind of situation are they in today as far as making ends meet? Well, I mean, coming from myself, pretty much, you know, as a teacher salary, I can say this year, you know, we made over a little over $37,000 as our household income. Um, my wife is a stay-at-home mom with our two young daughters, so that's all we live off of. And it can be tough, absolutely. I have found success because we have uh, done long-term planning. We, you know, at one point, both of us did work, and from that point on, we kind of set long-term goals to help us get into the situation we are in. You know, right now, for people that are really, really far in debt and stuff, yes, it's definitely difficult, and I know, you know, they say the economy with that, it's not looking that great right now. But there are still some, um, some advantages, I think, that you can take, for instance, with myself, Last year at this time, when uh, we recently we moved to Georgia, we had a 30-year fixed mortgage, and our interest rate at that point was 6.75%. Well, I just, since the interest rates just um, dropped, I recently refinanced. I dropped it down to 5.5%, and instead of taking the equity out, I dropped it down to a 20-year loan, and I'm only paying like $35 more a month. So there are, you know, some ways that you can benefit if, you know, if you have savings set aside and you're, you know, in an okay position right now. So, so in a case like that, uh, most people would probably have taken cash out and spent right. it, right? Right, right. I mean, since, like I said, we plan such a long-term goals, you know, pretty much from the day we got married, that we don't need to do that. We have enough emergency savings set aside. And by refinancing and dropping it down to a 20-year, I looked over the course of the loan, we're going to save over $67,000. So it wow. definitely, you know, like I said, if you're in the situation where you're stuck right now and you're in debt, yes, it's very hard. It, you can get out of it. I mean, it'll take a lot of hard work easier you know to start off without being in any debt but uh but there are definitely some advantages you can take even when the market does go down somewhat you can look for ways to uh, use it to your advantage so give us some examples of those well just like i mentioned with that refinancing your mortgage and instead yep. of cashing out drop the number of years and then you'll pay it off sooner and you'll save you know an interest for me personally i invest right now we do a roth ira and I know my stocks, you know, right now, it is dropping. It hasn't looked good. But for me, I'm looking, I'm 32, so I'm looking at a 30-year growth. Personally, I really, you know, it's not good to see them drop, but if the stocks drop, you know, in price, my mutual fund does, I can buy more shares, and that way 30 years from now, you look at the stock market traditionally, it's going to go back up. So by the time I'm ready to retire, I'm buying shares, you know, pretty much for below their value, and they're going to raise traditionally. So, so. You know, it's just kind of stick with it, Stick, especially if you're investing. Go ahead and do your dollar cost averaging. Invest your $200 a month. I never try to time the market. I do it for long-term growth. I never look at it for 10 years, 20 years. I'm looking at 30-year growth, and if you look at it historically, you'll make, you know, 8 to 10% a year. Are you typically doing mutual funds or individual stocks? What would you recommend for dollar cost averaging? Um, personally, I do mutual funds. I, uh, I just I don't know enough about stocks. I try to research as much as I can. But I'm not a professional, and you look at, you know, even how many day traders and whatnot, they lose money all the time. I just like to go for a good growth stock mutual fund. You can research them easily on websites like Yahoo Finance. I just type in what the stock symbol is, 
You can look at their 10-year history, five-year history, whatnot. I usually look at at least five-year history. They have a good growth, you know, 8 to 12%. To so me, give us some, some names of some funds that you've been in that you've been, been pleased with. Um, right now, I, I do, through, um, through my school system, um, with my advisor, they uh, buy, it's Franklin Templeton Fund, so I do a, it's a founding um, founding fund for Franklin Templeton. It's like F-F-L-A-X. I do one of, that's part of it. Um, a founding, there's another one. I can't think of the name. It's F-R-E. So you're, you're doing this through your school, but you're, you're also saving outside of your um, employer as well. Well, correct? no, actually with my school, I don't, I used to do a 403, because with schools you can do a 403B since, you know, we're a non-charitable organization. I actually don't do a 403B anymore. I used to do it, but now I just do a Roth IRA. Personally, I look at it as, you know, I get to invest the money right now, even though I'm paying taxes on it. When I retire at 60, you know, 59 and a half, I'll be able to pull all the money I have out without paying any type of taxes on it whatsoever. And I also do it, um, I do a mutual fund for my daughter, too. It's a little higher risk. She's, my oldest daughter right now is three, but I'm looking at it for, like, college and stuff because I know with a, um, with a Roth IRA, I can pull out anything I've invested in it without a penalty. Now, I can't touch, you know, what the interest is. I'll have to pay a penalty if I'm 50, below, you know, 59 and a half, younger than that. But uh, I look at it for, you know, maybe one day when college, maybe, you know, when she's 16 and one in a car, I can just tap some of that, you know, what I've invested in it and use it for that matter. Mm-hmm. So you talk about in, in the second chapter, and again, I'm speaking uh, with Dan Kofke, uh, who is actually a teacher in the Buffalo, New York area. Is that right? No, no, actually, it's Atlanta, Georgia. Or Atlanta, Georgia. Okay. Atlanta, Georgia area. Um, who's written a new book called How to Survive and Perhaps Thrive on a Teacher's Salary. And tell us there is a website people can find out more about it as well. Yes, it's uh, www.teachersalaryinfo.com. Um, there's a link on there. There's actually it's a kind of brief synopsis of each chapter of my book is on that website and then a link to buy it from Amazon. The book is also available on Amazon, barnesandnoble.com, the publisher's website, which is uh, www.tatepublishing.com. So those are a few places. That so the, the second chapter, you talk about the beginning of financial freedom. Uh-huh. Um, so what are some of the steps that people need to take who are in your situation uh, to kind of get, uh, you know, financial freedom ultimately uh, be achievable for them? Um, the, the thing that definitely helped my wife and myself, and I think a lot of people nowadays, they don't know where their money is going. You know, it might be a five bucks a day Starbucks coffee here, and then you know you spend three dollars a day on vending machine, and before you know it, it all adds up. So what we did it was at that point, um, we actually we taught overseas in Poland. Right when we got married, we moved overseas a couple years, le- couple months later. And what we did is we, after spending, I don't know, we probably were there around a month, two months, just to kind of get a lay of the land, and then we came up with a weekly budget for us. And I think you know you can easily do it here. I would recommend maybe for two months, go ahead and every single cent you spend, write it down so you can at least see where your money is going. And then, you know, if you analyze that list, you're going to see that there's probably a lot of things that you could cut out if you're really serious about, you know, either starting to save money or get out of debt. Um, and then, What are people most surprised about when they do that? What, what are they surprised they're spending money on they didn't really realize? Well, like I mentioned before, I think like a Starbucks coffee. You Say you go and buy one, you know, say $4 a coffee a day. Well, you do that five days a week, there's 20 bucks. There's 80 bucks a month. You know, 80 bucks a month, that can go a long way. You throw it in a good uh, mutual fund. Say you start when you're 25. By the time you're 60, you're going to be sitting pretty. And all it is is one coffee a day. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, eating out at lunch. I know a lot of people eat out at lunch. Particularly at my school, it costs a dollar for a soda at a vending machine. I usually wait for their for their you know to be on sale at a grocery store. I can get a four twelve packs 
for 10 bucks. So I'm saving right there per Coke. I'm getting the same thing, but I'm saving 75 cents a Coke. Over time, it adds up. It doesn't sound like much, you know, 75 cents. No, it's not much. But if you do that over time and add it into other things that you're saving, you can definitely uh, set aside a nice sum. So uh, back to what I would do, uh-huh. definitely establish a weekly budget. And we, Tracy and I, we came up with, at, over there at that time, it was $200 a week. That gave us enough to go out to dinner once a week because we still wanted to enjoy life, too, and do little things. But, you know, take care of be- basic necessities, groceries, you know, all that. And what we did is we pulled out the cash, and we stuck the cash. You can use an envelope. We just decided to put it in a jar in our apartment. So at that point, you know, we were in Poland, so it was really 800 zloty is what they used. That was equivalent to $200. And the good thing I think about that, say you hear, you go to the ATM on Friday, you pull out that set amount. Say it gets to be Wednesday, you don't have any money left. Well, you know what? You really don't have anything to budget. You don't have any money left. There's nothing to budget. So if you go by that way, then to me it's kind of easy. It's, it's hard at first because there's stuff that you might see that you might like, but if you don't have any money in the jar or the envelope, well, you're just going to have to wait till Friday. And then usually by the time Friday rolls around, if you had time to think about it, the item that you wanted so bad doesn't seem so important anymore and you're not going to buy it. I think that's what gets a lot of people in trouble is just the spontaneous buying. The impulse buying, and retailers make it easy to do impulse buying as well. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, you get all these offers for credit cards. Congratulations, your financial situation is such that you've been approved for $25,000. That's the new standard. Oh, great, I get to go $25,000 in debt. You know, it's just they definitely try to lure you into it because they're making so much money off of you when you use credit cards and you go into debt. So, you know, to me it's just it's easier to not go into debt to start off, you know. But if you are in debt... You know, I think the most important thing is to do is just don't just pay the minimum balance on the credit card. Pay extra every month so you can get that thing paid off as fast as possible. You talk about the pay yourself, yourself first principle. Uh-huh. Um, t- tell me about how that works. And, and Is that something most people are doing, or, or they pay themselves last, or maybe not at all? Well, I'm, I'm thinking what you said, the latter. They either don't pay themselves at all or last. Um, what, you know, you can do it especially for uh, when you're setting up a retirement account. And it definitely, you know, I, I've written my book, too. It, it can benefit anyone, but I especially want, like, beginning teachers to read it because what I've, I've noticed for myself is that right when I started teaching, I set up my retirement account. So, say, I think at that time it was like 100 bucks a month was coming out of it. Not much, but it was taken out right when I started teaching, so I didn't miss that 100 bucks. I paid myself first. It was never there for me to spend, so I didn't even miss it. So I got used to the salary I was making same thing, I think, instead of going into debt, paying a credit card if you want to buy something. And I, you know, use an example in my book of a TV. Say, and I'll just throw out an example, say if you want a, you know, TV that costs $2,400. Instead of putting it on, you know, credit card, go ahead and say, you know what, maybe in a year I want this TV. How much are you going to have to pay yourself a month? $200 a month. 200 times 12, in one year it'll be $2,400. You'll have enough to pay cash for that TV instead of using the credit card, and you're probably going to pay double the amount of the TV, if not more, if you just make the minimum monthly payments. Yeah. Okay, so uh, you're saying getting into these small habits of paying yourself first and watching your cash and not spending more than you actually have is going to make a huge difference. I guess it's small increments over time really do add up, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, like I just mentioned, if you spend, you know, five bucks a day on a coffee, well, you do that five days a week, that's $25 a week, that's $100 a month, right there in coffee. You go out and buy, you know, a a value meal for lunch, another five bucks. So there could be $10 a day. I mean, I think people easily can drop 
15 to 20 bucks a day without even thinking twice, and they don't even realize where their money's going. And then it comes time to invest or to pay off your debt, and you're like, where is all the money? Well, it's those little things that you don't think about, but over time, they add up. And then you talk about various plans that are offered that make it look easy to buy furniture, various other things that, in fact, are really much more expensive. Is that right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, they'll tell you, you know, like you see, especially with furniture, no interest for until 2009. Well, you know, if you pay the minimum payments by 2009, it's not going to be paid off, and you're going to add so much more. And then you don't read the fine print, but your usually annual percent interest is going to jack up to 24% that you're going to be paying on that. So, definitely. Very good. All right. Well, I'm speaking with uh, Dan Kofke, uh, who's the author of a new book called How to Survive and Perhaps Thrive on a Teacher's Salary. Uh, his website is teachersalaryinfo.com. And we'll be back after this. Internet's only all business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. You hear business show after business show all geared towards improving a company's bottom line. But what about your bottom line? How come no one ever talks about that? Finally, a show dedicated to the worker, The Crow Show with Paul McLaughlin, The Work Wonk. Heard every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, The Crow Show is aimed specifically at the worker and their environment. From work skills and technology to dealing with bosses and coworkers, The Crow Show will give you insight on how to survive and prosper in today's workplace. The Crow Show with Paul McLaughlin, The Work Wonk. Heard every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the bottom line of business talk, Voice America Business. Why is Pepsi cooler than Coke? Why are iPods so popular? In 2005, how can you launch a successful brand? Want to know? Learn about the fascinating and intriguing world of graphic design and branding on Design Matters with Debbie Millman. Every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time, Debbie Millman will provide you with a provocative look into the stimulating world of design as it intersects with contemporary culture. Hear what the experts have to say about creating, maintaining, and launching a brand in today's challenging marketplace. Join us every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time for Design Matters with Debbie Millman. Right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Danny Kofke. 
who has written a new book called How to Survive and Perhaps Thrive on a Teacher's Salary. Uh, the website to find out more about it is teachersalaryinfo.com. Welcome back to the show, Danny. Thank you so much. Now, you've spent some time in Europe, apparently Poland particularly. Yeah. Uh, tell us about the European experience that you had there and how that might apply to Americans in making the most of their money. Um, well, especially, and I know there's opportunities for other careers as well, but in teaching, there, uh, actually, I can even start with a story. Uh, I met my wife while I was student teaching, and she had um, one of her friends was a consultant for a math company, and she had gone overseas and, you know, explained the math program to schools over there, and she asked, you know, if we would be interested in doing something like that, and we kind of just jumped in and said, yeah, let's give it a shot. So we used a company called International Schools Services, and it's at www.iss.edu. If you would like to go to that website, you can kind of see how to do it. What we, um, we had to fill out an application, submit. It was a couple hundred bucks, I think. And then they accepted us into their um, program, and we went to Boston. It was like mid-February for a, a hiring fair, and there were countries, you know, from A to Z, Africa, you know, and Zimbabwe, from any, you know, all around the world where they had schools, international schools. And we, um, we interviewed for a few schools. We interviewed for one in Bahrain, one in Nigeria, and then the one in Poland, it just kind of looked the best to us. You know, Bahrain, it, we got a job offer for that, but uh, right on the Persian Gulf at the time, we just weren't comfortable with it, so we accepted the one in Poland, and uh, we left and went over there from Todden over there for two years. And while we were over there, we not only were able to save money just using some of the, the ideas I gave earlier about paying yourself first, but by the time we came back home, we had visited over 10 countries. We took an extended honeymoon in Venice, got to ride on a gondola. It was just, you know, kind of like a two-year honeymoon, so it was really, really neat experience. What are some of the, the uh, habits you learned uh, in managing your money while in Europe that might apply to Americans now? Um, it was actually definitely with the budgeting. We set, you know, 200 bucks a week, and we kind of continued that after we moved home, so that helped. Um, paying ourselves first, we put money right from the get-go. I figured when we moved home, we kind of talked about it, that we probably would like around $20,000 to bring home with us, so we kind of divided 20000 by 24, which was the number of months we'd be living there, and we came up with 834 bucks. So what we did is every month we just transferred that amount before we saw it, you know, pay yourself first, into a, a savings account. We didn't want to invest that because that was going to be for a down payment, so we didn't want anything too risky with that one. Um, so that enabled us when we did come home, we had that much money in the bank to put down on a down payment for a house to help us start, you know, our lives a little easier back here in the States. And it definitely... When in Poland, um, at the time, they were just, you know, what, eight years removed from communism. So a lot of the people over there, it was really, really, they didn't have much. And uh, we kind of saw a different way of life where they didn't need much, whereas America, we tend to be somewhat of a materialistic society, I think, and we want more and more and more, where I think at that point the average monthly salary over there was like 400 bucks a month. So we kind of saw people making the most out of such a, a meager paycheck but they were still happy. They still enjoyed life. They did a lot more outdoor activities, sat at outdoor cafes, and just enjoyed, you know, kind of the world. Just instead of being in a rush all the time, which I think a lot of us do here especially, we're hardworking. Americans are definitely the hardest working, I think, in the world. But uh, they kind of took more time to enjoy life, I think. So we definitely came home with that, too, that just because you have a lot of money, it doesn't always, you know, equate to happiness. And we saw how they lived and you know, we, we lived in an apartment that was furnished by the school, but uh, there were, you know, five-member families living in this little two-bedroom apartment for us. And that definitely helped us when we moved home. Instead of buying this huge house, 
we saw a house that we fell in love with. It was only a two-bedroom house, and, you know, at first we're thinking we need three bedrooms, but we kind of thought back to that experience and said, you know what, this is the right price for us. We're going to make it work for us. This will enable us to reach our goals. So we kind of, you know, settled for that house. Shouldn't say settled, but we just chose that house, and it, I think definitely our experience overseas kind of opened our eyes to, to things that we wouldn't have seen before. So do you recommend that as a way that, to cut expenses, to live in a low-cost country? Oh, absolutely. I, one of our, um, our principals over there the first year, we, we were there two years, so the first year principal, she left after the first year and actually went and taught in uh, Sudan, which I wouldn't recommend to anyone. That's but very low-cost, yes. It was a hardship um, country, so she was making over $100,000 a year there. So you definitely, it's definitely a way, especially for teachers and, you know, I'm sure other professions as well, you can definitely make a lot of money. And the nice thing with us is our uh, apartment was paid for by the school. We didn't have a car over there because it was a big enough city where they had a lot of public transportation, trams and whatnot. So we just used trams and taxis. So there goes a car payment, so we don't have to worry about that. We walked a lot and the expenses were low. And at that point, Americans were allowed to earn up to $75,000 a year without paying taxes on it. So it definitely enabled us to save a lot. Now, if we had taught, you know, in London or something, obviously we wouldn't have been able to save that much money because it's very expensive. But, you know, at the time, Poland, that was before they had joined the EU, so uh, the cost of living there was still very, very low. We could go out to dinner and eat for two of us, appetizers and all for under 10 bucks. So, so how is that? That was a while ago, though. How would that be today? Could, are these countries still low cost? I'm not sure. You know, I know we've talked to a couple of people that are still there, and the prices have gone up some. Especially in Poland, they've come up, but I don't. They don't match, you know, what it is here in the states right now. But uh, they have gone up some. I mean, you talking? I mean, just the, it was dirt cheap compared to what we're used to in the states, and it still is cheap compared to you know here in the states. It just has gone up a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Then your next chapter, chapter four. And again, I'm speaking with Danny Kafki, who's got written a new book, uh, How to Survive and Perhaps th- Thrive on a Teacher Salary. His website, TeacherSalaryInfo.com. Uh, you now talk about moving home after you were in Poland. Uh-huh. What, what are some of the things that you learned in Poland that you were then able to apply to your American financial life? Um, well, like I mentioned earlier, the house. We, uh, we found a house. Um, it was a two-bedroom house, and the cost of it at that point, it was, uh, was $89,000. So uh, we were looking at a, a bigger house because, you know, we envisioned, you know, down the road we'd have more than one kid, so we wanted a bigger house. But we just really, really liked the house, so we said, you know what, we'll go ahead, we'll just, we if we ever wanted to put an addition on it, if we ever need to, we can, you know, do that. So we kind of just said, all right, we'll do that, and got a two-bedroom house. We actually only uh, had one car, too, for, uh, for three years. We just drove one car, and the reason is uh, when we moved home, we kind of planned, you know, that I was big on long-term planning, that uh, Tracy would have a baby in a couple of years, and I really wanted, I felt strongly about her staying home if we were able to, at least for the first year of the baby's life. So I said, in order to make that work, we're really not going to have have to have any payments because, you know, if we have a car payment and a mortgage payment, it's going to be really tough to make it on a teacher's salary. So we ended up just buying one car, and we had that. It was actually a brand-new car, which I probably wouldn't recommend now to anyone. We did it just because her uh, father worked at a Ford dealership, so we were able to get a discount. But the depreciation, I mean, you, you take such a hit when you buy a brand-new car. So that's one thing I wouldn't do again you know, buy one with maybe 10,000 miles on it. But, uh, but anyways, we did buy a brand-new car, and we were actually able to pay it off in two years because I just, once again, kind of paid myself first and applied it directly towards the car loan. So that way, you know, in two years, we were able to have a baby, and she was able to stay home because we didn't have a car payment. So we continued to just keep one car for the next year. So it was, it was definitely a sacrifice. There were some days I rode my bike to, to work. 
I'd have to hitch rides and whatnot. But it was definitely well worth it that first year that uh, that Tracy got to stay home with my daughter. You know, people used to make fun of me. You know, people at work would be like, "Ha look at you! You're riding your bike." But those same people, when their wives had babies later, they still had to go to work, and she didn't. So it definitely, you know, you have to have some thick skin sometimes too. I don't know if Dave Ramsey's a, a radio show host, and he says that uh, if poor people are making fun of you, then you're doing something right. So I definitely kind of agree with that. Talk about the psychological aspect of all this. Uh, some people would be embarrassed to be, you know, as you say, driving their bikes or, or you know, counting their cash. It's considered undignified or something. Is that a, a major obstacle for a lot of people? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we live in a country of keeping up with the Joneses. So absolutely, people are so horrified to, you know, to appear less than what their neighbors have. They don't have as big as a boat. They don't have as big as a house, car, whatever. And I think it just it drives you. It's not to me. It's not important. And I realize that what's important to me doesn't matter right now. How much you know? How big my house is? What nice cars I drive? Right now, for me, my wife gets to stay home with my two daughters and raise them, and I get to go to a job every single day that I wake up and I love. And I've I've found you know that to me is true wealth. It's nice to be comfortable. And, you know, we're able financially to to do some good things too. But to me. That's the definition of a wealthy man. And I think that's what gets a lot of people in trouble is they just always want to keep up because unless you're the richest man in the world, someone's always going to have more than you, but someone at the same token is always going to have less than you too. And I just think you kind of have to be content with what you have. And it just it definitely gets a lot of people into trouble when they try to keep up with others. You talk about why renting is actually not a good deal, why renting can make you poor. Why is that? Well, you know, and now in today's market, it's a little... I still feel that way. I know, you know, I would probably recommend, say, if you're, you know, a recent college graduate or you're moving to a city that you don't think you're going to live very long, you know, to live there very long, renting might make sense in that aspect just because, you know, the housing market has dropped so much in a lot of places that you might not, you know, get what you put down on the house, get out of it what you paid for it. But um, in, the, in the, you know, bigger sense, if you're going to live somewhere, I think at least five, ten years, if you're renting, you're not going to have anything to show. For instance, I'll use our Florida experience. If we would have rented in Florida and say we lived there, we'll throw out three years, and if we paid $1,000 a month for rent, after three years, that's $36,000 we paid. If we rented, what do we have to show for it? Nothing. But by buying a house, the house that we buy at 89000 we put $36,000 into it. You know, that house is coming. We're owing less on the house, and then with the market at that time, it went up. So our house increased in value. We owed less, so we were able to walk away with a nice chunk of change to put down on another house. But, you know, when you rent, you really what do you have to show for? You have a place to live, but everyone needs a place to live, so you might as well, in my estimation, just go ahead and just have a mortgage payment if you can. Like I said, unless you are, you know, you plan on moving soon, then it might not make sense. So you're saying a lot of people are, are, buy, are well, are renting, and they should be able to buy, and, and in the long run they're going to be building equity that way, even though the real estate market, is declining, you're still going to come out ahead than just renting and getting nothing for it. Right. I mean, and renting isn't the key. All, you know, I think there's a lot of people, especially with this subprime mortgage mess, I think a lot of people got into houses they shouldn't have gotten into, and they got loans they shouldn't have gotten, because now, you know, they're definitely hurting with that. So that's the thing, too. I think you have to be realistic about what you can afford. If you're making $40,000 a year, you probably shouldn't be buying a $350,000 house. I don't care if they give you the credit to do it. And, you know, nowadays that's not going to happen, but that's what got a lot of people in trouble before. Absolutely. Okay, uh, we'll be back after this. I'm speaking to uh, Dan Kofke. 
uh, who is the uh, author of How to Survive and Perhaps Thrive on a Teacher's Salary. Their website is teachersalaryinfo.com. We'll be back after this. The Bottom Line in Business, Voice America Business. Tune in every Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time for The Growth Strategist with Aldana Ambler. On the show, Aldana and some of today's top business professionals will discuss some of today's most pressing business issues that hold you, the business owner, back. Aldana will also give you 21 ways to grow with her list of growth strategies. Grow smart, grow profit, and grow your business with Aldana Ambler and The Growth Strategist every Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the Bottom Line in Business Talk, Voice America Business. You hear business show after business show all geared towards improving a company's bottom line. But what about your bottom line? How come no one ever talks about that? Finally, a show dedicated to the worker. The Crow Show with Paul McLaughlin, the work wonk. Heard every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, the Crow Show is aimed specifically at the worker and their environment. From work skills and technology to dealing with bosses and coworkers, the Crow Show will give you insight on how to survive and prosper in today's workplace. The Crow Show with Paul McLaughlin, the work wonk. Heard every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the bottom line of business talk, Voice America Business. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Danny Kofke, who has written a new book called How to Survive and Perhaps Thrive on a Teacher's Salary. Uh, the website to find out more about it is teachersalaryinfo.com. Welcome back to the show, Danny. Thank you. You talk about uh, cheating the bank when it comes to mortgage payments. Tell us how that works. Okay, well, what uh, a lot of people, you know, I don't think they realize that if you go ahead and you can sign up with your bank or your mortgage company, whoever you have your mortgage through, and do biweekly mortgage payments. So, ask, you know, if they're biweekly every other week, um, they're going to be half of what your monthly payments are. But since there are 52 weeks in a year, you'll make 26 payments. Half of 26 is 13, which is the number of full payments you'll make each year. So by doing that, you will pay off your mortgage, and a lot of times you can pay it off seven, eight years earlier. And I'll just use an example. If you, uh, say, had a $120,000 mortgage, if you used this plan and did a biweekly mortgage payment, you would, save a, you would uh, pay it off in about seven years sooner, so about 23 years, and you would save over $41,000 in interest on that loan. 
Uh, so sometimes banks charge an extra fee for doing this, but you're saying it's worthwhile. Yeah, I mean, I would definitely look at the fee. I mean, I know the bank that I'm at, they don't charge that fee. So, uh, so you, you know, you, to me, when you sign up for your mortgage, just go ahead and try to uh, get that in the writing, too, that there's no prepayment penalty. But I would um, weigh the options to just see. But, you know, to me, if you're going to save $41,000, that's a lot of money. If you're paying even a $2,000 fee, you're still saving $39,000 over the course of the loan. So, you know, you just kind of have to add up the figures and see if it makes sense to, to your situation. Yeah. All right, so we're paying our mortgage off quicker through biweekly uh, payments. Mm-hmm. Next, you talk about the magic of compound interest. Uh, a lot of people don't seem to realize how powerful that is. Tell us about how that works and how to take advantage of it. Well, there's a little rule, and I know you know a lot of people know it, but it's called the rule of 72, and it's a, it's a quick way to see how long it will take you to, or how long it will take your money that you invest to double. And the way to determine this is to take the number 72 and divide it by the percentage of interest you are earning on your money. So, for instance, say if you're earning 5% interest, you do 5 into 72, you get 14.4, so that's how many years it's going to take for your money to double. Say if you're earning 10%, 10 into 72, 7.2 years. Um, and the way compound interest works, it's kind of almost the opposite of when you pay you know, credit card debt. You're actually getting money just for investing it, free money pretty much if you, you think about it, so I'll just you know use a basic example. Let's say we're going to use go ahead and you have a uh, hundred dollars you're going to invest. So if you're earning nine percent interest, how many years should it take? Well, you do nine into seventy-two, you get eight years. And I can go over the figures like after year one you'll have a hundred and nine dollars, then one hundred and eighteen, one twenty-nine, one forty-one, up it's until compounding is what you're saying. Yes, and you'll have almost two hundred ninety-nine dollars. Right. So it's definitely it's a very magical, magical thing. Even Albert Einstein said it's the greatest mathematical discovery of all time. So it uh, must be pretty powerful coming from him. What, what kind of uh, investments do you recommend that people put money into to earn those kind of interest rates? Well, um, as I mentioned before, I would uh, research mutual funds. I know you, know you can definitely do stocks to me. You know, it just takes a lot of investment to do that unless you have a lot of time on your hand. And there's books out there that, you know, you can kind of read that helps you if you want to do individual stocks. Personally, I would rather just use, you know, a broad a mutual fund. That, to me, a good growth mutual fund just that's averaging. You look, you know, like I mentioned before, you can type in the, the symbol, Yahoo Finance. You can look at the track record. You can see what holdings is in that mutual fund and just go ahead and invest in that. I mean, a mutual fund is giving you capital gains. It's not giving you consistent interest that's going to be up and down with what the market's doing. Right. What, what, you're talking about compounding of interest. Uh, I mean, you, oh, you, okay. you can't, Just like you for can't like get 9% on a CD today or something, you know? Gotcha. Yeah, well, um, right now, you know, you can do uh, money market accounts, CDs, if you're, you know, willing to, to have the money sit for a while. There's actually, at my bank, I, I have some of my money in a risk-free CD that they enabled me to um, take it out early if, the you know, the month... I think I have a nine months, so say if I needed to take the money out on month five, I don't have to pay a penalty on it. So things like that. And I know that's one of the bad things when the Fed, when they're dropping the rates, usually the, the savings and the CDs, those rates drop. So, right. you know, that's kind of the negative side of it. But it's still better than, you know, a lot of people stick their money in, an int- you know, a checking account where the interest you're earning, you know, 0.2%, whereas if you just upped it to a money market account, you might be earning. There's some banks that I know, online banks, you can get 4%. Yeah. You know, there's some like websites like ING Direct. If you want to check, you know that out. There's some some good websites like that. You know, personally, I don't. I do mine at just my local bank. That way, I have access to it. I can go there and you know get it when I want it. But uh, but yeah, definitely like money market accounts, Sa- 
savings account usually don't pay as much as money market accounts, but uh, just research. Just go to your bank and, uh, and ask and see what their different rates are and different things. Yeah. All right, and then you talk about the 403B plans, which is not only teachers, but all kind of nonprofit organizations, uh-huh. governmental organizations. Right. Um, maybe our people aren't totally familiar with 403Bs and how those work. Just give us a little brief primer on that. Okay, the way um, a 403B plan works is that you invest the money, but the money that you're invested investing um, it does not have taxes taken out first. So, for instance, if um, you invest, um, say, $100 a month, really only out of your paycheck, you might only miss, depending on what your tax rate is, what tax bracket you're in, say if you're in the 20% tax bracket, we'll just use it as an example, you're really only going to be missing 80 bucks out of your paycheck because it's taken this money for a 403B is invested before the taxes are taken out. So that's a good advantage that you get the, the tax break up front as opposed to a Roth IRA where you get it at the end. But at the end, when you uh, take the money out of a 403B, that's when you're going to be paying your taxes. Yeah. So it's just kind of a different way of, of looking at it. And I know with the 403B, they force there's some uh, mandatory, you have to start taking out at 70, 70 and a half. Uh, with a Roth IRA, you can leave it in there forever. If you want to pass it on to your heirs without, that's fine. So, you know, just different. I, I used to, before, I did, a, I did some in each. I did a 403B and I also did a Roth IRA. But at the point, this point right now, I'm just doing a Roth IRA. So, so a, lot, a lot of teachers offered, and not only teachers, but other nonprofit people offered, Four or three Bs and not taking them up on it. Um, yeah, I think especially you know I know it seems like a lot of uh, people like in teachers categories you know moderate income earners I think they're they're very afraid of talking finances and uh, I've noticed even talking to teachers they just they're, they're they're very very scared of it and they just don't understand it so that was part of the goal in, in writing my book I just kind of wanted to break it down and show that it really is it can't be it's not that difficult you can uh, you can make it easier than what it sounds because it is it's very intimidating to a lot of people and some people whose finances are in a mess you know that's the last thing they want to talk about is investing and whatnot so why would that be if here are teachers who are role models for kids why is it that it's difficult for them to talk about personal finances and, and money and compounding all the things we've been talking about here? I think it's just the way a lot of people were brought up, and uh, I just and teachers especially. I know how much I give at my job, and I know a lot of teachers give so much of themselves to others that they don't take the time to give back to themselves. And you know, I think it's definitely important and, and to influence the kids that you're teaching too, especially for teachers. You know, this country. I, I think there definitely needs to be high school classes that teach finances. That you know, we teach our 12th graders, 11th graders, 10th graders. We teach. You know, not that it's not important, but you know, dissecting animals or about Beowulf and whatnot, but most kids don't even know how to balance a checkbook. They don't know how to do their income tax returns. Those types of things, I think, should actually you know, be implemented into our curriculum so at least they have an understanding. They understand that when you go to college, you're going to be hit by so many credit card companies that want you to buy their credit cards, and when you go out, you put it on a credit card, you're paying 24% interest, you're paying on it for the next 10 years. Our kids just don't understand it because the parents really are in fear of it, so it just kind of just trickles down. And you're seeing the effect of that all the time. A lot of kids in college are building up an awful lot of credit card debt very, very quickly. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you tell you know a 21-year-old, hey, man, you shouldn't go to the store and buy this. You should uh, save the money. No, they're not going to listen to that. But I think if you know we did a better job just explaining to them, you know, at least they know it, that when they are using a credit card, if they choose to do so, well, you know what, you're kind of hurting yourself because you might be paying on this when you're 30, 35. You know. Same with student loans. A lot of them are getting student loans that, you know, they decide not to work, and that's, you know, I understand that, but you're getting the max amount out of your student loans, and you just don't understand that it's not.
going to actually have to pay that money back. So yeah. I think uh, we need to do a better job of, of educating <laughs> with that aspect. Again, I'm speaking with Danny Kofke, whose new book is called How to Survive and Perhaps Thrive on a Teacher's Salary. Uh, you can find out more about this book at teachersalaryinfo.com. Uh, your next chapter is calling uh, called Feeling Hot, 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 and this is about uh, how you did things through the summer. What are some insights you can gain through that, what you call the, the summertime blues? Um, well, at that point, uh, one of the things that we did is I, I did check out the money that I had in a bank, and we just had our uh, our extra money just stuck into a basic checking account. So I researched in, at my bank. I found out what, um, at that point, they had. I think they, they didn't have a money market at that point. It was a few years ago, so they just had a savings. But the interest earned, I was tripling what I was earning in the checking account. So I transferred my money into, you know, that just might not be much, but, you know, if someone said, here, I'll give you, you know, 50 extra bucks for doing this for a year, you know, of course you're going to do it. So, uh, so that was one thing. We analyzed kind of where our money was going. Another thing is uh, we looked at all of our bills and saw where some of the money was going, like I mentioned, to write down everything you spend. Well, we did it with our monthly expenses, too. And at that point, I think we had you know a cell phone that we were paying fifty bucks a month on, and then our long our phone plan at home we were paying another eighty bucks on, and it just we had so many features that we never used. So I dropped the cell phone and got a cheaper cell phone, and took off you know a lot of the basic stuff that was on the phone, dropped it down to like a thirty buck a month payment, and right then and there I saved almost eighty dollars. So it definitely you know those were some of the things we did. Um, we looked into us, and I recommended I know for anyone that works disability insurance. What that is is uh, you get to pay a set amount depending on how well you get. If you ever get injured and you're out of work for a set amount of time, you get 66% of your salary. That was at least through the company we signed up with. And uh, definitely for me, it benefited me because I thought, gosh, if something ever happened to me and I couldn't work again, i got to provide for my family. So uh, we did it for me and then also for my wife as well because we found that there was a clause in there that uh, if you spend a night in the hospital, that it automatically kicks in. Well, we knew she was going to have a baby in a year, so uh, we did it for her, and then it ended up uh, we earned, you know, by having that, we got about $2,000 back, which kind of paid for all the baby expenses because she actually, you know, was off work for six weeks with the with the baby. So uh, we got... So even, even a normal baby is considered a disability? Well, they consider she had a C-section, so I they see. said she couldn't work for six weeks. You know, the doctor said that. I guess it might just be a basic thing that they check off on, you know, check off on, and... Uh, yeah, so we got uh, six weeks of her expenses, you know, 66% of her salary. Terrific. <laughs> Very yeah. good tip. Very good. All right, well, I'm speaking again with uh, Danny Kafke, uh, whose uh, book is called How to Survive and Perhaps Thrive on a Teacher's Salary. You can find out more about it at his website, teachersalaryinfo.com. And we'll be back after this to talk about not only how we can save money for teachers, but all the rest of our listeners as well. We'll be back after this. Line in business. Voice America business. 
Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying, and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. Achieve Total Wealth Management. Listen to Three Dimensional Wealth with Rory Diefendorf every Monday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 Eastern, right here on Voice America Business. Three Dimensional Wealth is a show dedicated to teaching you a value-based approach to comprehensive wealth management through practical strategies and expert advice. Take your first step down the road to financial independence. Listen to Three Dimensional Wealth with Rory Diefendorf Mondays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 Eastern, here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. Have you ever had a bad day and wish someone could come along and change it at the flip of a switch? Do you dream of living the life of wealth, great relationships, and the perfect job, but don't know where to start? Then tune into The Winner's Attitude with corporate trainers, motivators, authors, and hosts, Jeff and Val G. No difficult strategies or complicated keys. Jeff and Val present a powerful and effective technology to switch your operating system to create the most amazing life. It has been said that winners have simply formed the habit of doing amazing things. When know how to activate that switch and so can you the winner's attitude with jeff and val g broadcast each friday at 8 a.m pacific 11 a.m eastern on the voice america business channel the winner's attitude switch me on the bottom line in business voice america business You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Danny Kofke, uh, who's written a new book called How to Survive and Perhaps Thrive on a Teacher's Salary. Uh, welcome back, Danny. Thank you. Uh, you talk about having kids, and uh, as you put it, first comes love, then marriage, and now comes the baby in the baby carriage. Yep. <laughs> so let's talk about that a little bit. What kind of expenses and financial adjustments should people make when they have children that they may not expect? Um, okay. As I mentioned before the break, we signed up for disability insurance. It was about a year before um, Tracy had Ava. And uh, after that, and I don't know if a lot of people know, but you know, even as a teacher, we have pretty good medical insurance as a large you know, group. But still, after even insurance paid and stuff, we still, for Ava's birth, we owed a little over $2,300. Well, getting the disability insurance, that helped because we got a check for the amount of $2,293. So we really only had to pay a few bucks to have her birth because of using the disability insurance. So I definitely think if you're planning on having a baby, look into it through your company to see you know, what they offer. Okay. Um, also... Well, and it shows uh, we definitely, we only paid for Tracy. I think we paid, it was like $32 a month. So we, uh, we actually made money off the end. And it was nice peace of mind, too, that, God forbid, something happened to her and she did get injured and couldn't work. We at least had some type of income coming in. Yeah. Um, and, you know, all the other 
stuff with the baby. You don't at the beginning. You know, it just depends on how you feed your baby. But uh, even right now, we have another one that is on baby food. So that's an extra twenty bucks a, a week usually with baby food. Then sometimes you have formula and this and that. So if you're gonna have a baby, you definitely have to plan that your groceries could probably with diapers and all. You know, it might be fifty to seventy-five dollars more a week just in all the stuff for the baby. So. I don't think a lot of people, when they, they go into thinking of, you know, when they want to have a child, that uh, they realize how much they really do cost, because it's definitely not cheap. You also talk about the Family Medical Leave Act. Uh, tell uh-huh. us how people can take advantage of that. Um, well, yes, there's something that is called the Family Medical Leave Act, and uh, this it, it entitles people to take up to 12 weeks of job-protected unpaid leave during any 12-month period for, uh, to take care of a new child, along you can, it's, you know, a few other options as well. So when I decided, what we um, decided to do was, since our insurance at that time when we were in Florida, we were both teachers, and it was a nice perk, but our health insurance, along with any of the children that we had, it was free. So what we decided to do was, originally Tracy was just going to stay home the entire year, and that was fine. We could have said, you know, she would have gotten three months of Family Medical Leave Act that our insurance would have paid for, and then we would have had to pay for it out of pocket. Well, I decided to go ahead and utilize that, Family Medical Leave Act. So I ended up taking um, it's like two months off, and then Tracy used the other another three months for the Family Medical Leave Act. So we had five months that we didn't have to pay insurance for us, and uh, that was at that time about three hundred dollars a month. So we really saved about fifteen hundred dollars by utilizing that. But it was unpaid as well, from your point of view, right? So how did you cover the bills during that time? Well, that was um, it was we. Uh, you know, like I mentioned before, we play, made long-term goals, so we, uh, we set money aside for the two years that Tracy worked. We, put a, we only had the one car, so we paid extra to that, and then we put some other money in our uh, money market savings account. So you went into it with some savings, which a lot of people don't probably typically do. Right. Um, at the beginning, and I, I didn't mention that before, when we, right when we moved home you know, from overseas, we kind of planned on having a child in two years. You, you know, it's only up to God when you're going to have it, but you know, that was kind of our plan. So um, I think at that point I just said we would be comfortable, you know, I'd be comfortable with like $8,000 in savings. So I just did once again, I did, you know, 24 into 8000 came up with a figure, and then I set that much aside before we spent it, pay ourselves first, put that right into the savings account. That way, for that year, I knew that we had that much money set aside that, God forbid something happened, the car broke down, Murphy's Law came into effect, we had money set aside so she could at least stay home that first year. Yeah. Very good. All right, then your last chapter in the book, and again, this is Danikowski. Uh, his book is called How to Survive and Perhaps Thrive on a Teacher's Salary. Uh, you talk about being knee-deep in debt and feel you can't get out. Uh-huh. T- tell us about that in, in American society today, and, and how should people both avoid getting in debt in the first place and get out of it once they're in it? Well, definitely, you know, to avoid going into it, you know, just pay with cash. A lot of people just use, you use this little magical thing called a credit card, and it, you don't think about what you're doing because it's just it's a card it doesn't have any effect if you use cash you see it you take it out of your pocket ooh, you see it and it's it's a lot harder to spend cash than it is just to swipe a card through a machine so i think that would help and uh definitely write down you know what you're spending your money on and see where you can cut back and i'm to get out of credit card debt i'm going to say uh we'll just use an example we'll say that you have a credit card that has four thousand dollar balance on it we're going to say the interest on this card is $18,000, and we'll go with your minimum payments or 2% of this balance, your monthly, monthly, minimum monthly payments. Um, if you pay just this amount every month, it would take 508 months to get rid of this debt and would cost you almost $11,000 in interest alone. And I don't think people understand that. 
They just see, ooh, okay, my minimum amount this month is, you know, oh, okay, it's only 20 bucks. That's fine. I have 20 bucks. But you keep doing that, you know, by the time you pay off your debt, you could have bought whatever you buy. You could have bought three of them for the price that you're paying. So that's why, I, I, you know, as I mentioned earlier, pay yourself first is uh, it's definitely a wonderful thing to do. And it's just a nice feeling for me that when you go out and you say, we bought our TV, I own the TV. No one can come and take it away. It's mine. So that, that is definitely where, you know, I, would, I want everyone to get out of my book. It's just, uh, you know, it's, it's so bad when you go into debt. It's so hard to get out of it. Credit card companies love it because they're making so much money off of you. So if at all you can avoid it, please do. But if, you know, you're already stuck in debt, go ahead and pay as much as you can on those credit card payments every month to get out of debt. You, you, you aim the teacher, the, the book of teachers, but really there are lessons for everybody uh, who's, who's kind of moderate income. What are some of the overall lessons as we close here uh, that you think people should learn about how you can survive and thrive on a modest salary, whether it be from a teacher or not? Um, well, I definitely think you need to have goals, both short-term and long-term. A lot of people I know don't do this. So sit down with your spouse if you're married, if you're just by yourself, you have goals. You know, make up a list of what you want. Go ahead and write them down. Some people like to hang them up on a mirror, look at them every day, you know, whatever it takes for you, and then put them into effect. If you want to start saving money, pay yourself first. Take it out before you even see it. Set it aside on whatever vehicle, you, you know, of interest, you know, that you're going to earn, whatever, you know, place you want to put it, whether you want to invest it, whether you're just doing it for basic savings. However, just set it aside before you spend it. Then, you know, to me, don't worry about what other people are making or what other people are doing. You know, I, I definitely, it's, it's hard, you know, I've, I grew up and I was pretty self-confident. I had, you know, parents that uh, we really didn't have that much money growing up, but I definitely valued family time and doing things together as a family. So I didn't, you know, feel the need, whereas a lot of people, I think, fill their empty time with doing things and spending money. So I kind of was an advantage in that point. But, uh, but don't worry about what your neighbors are doing. Don't worry about how big their car is because you never know what situation they're, they are in. I actually just read a book about was keeping up with the Joneses and, People see, you know, you might see your neighbor that has all this stuff, but for all you know, they could be up into their eyes in debt. They could be $50,000 in debt about to lose their house. So, you know, there's no sense in trying to keep up with anyone, And you know, I think. I just, you just do what you got to do to make yourself happy. And to me, you know, sometimes having less can mean having more, and especially like I feel that way with my job. You know, I actually, um, and I write about it in my book, I took a, a different job after my daughter was born. I had a chance to double or even triple my salary, and it was selling flooring. And, you know, at first it was exciting, but after a couple of months, for me, I just didn't have the passion because, I, you know, as a teacher, I get to go to a job every day that I can impact the world. I can do something special. And, you know, I just really, to go and sell something that, to me, it just wasn't that important. So it kind of, you know, brought me back to reality that did, too. It's like, you know what, I get to go and make a difference every single day. And I think, you know, if you're doing something in your life and you feel that that's what you're put on this earth to do, then it really, to me, doesn't matter how much money you have because you're already wealthy. Terrific. Well, some really great ideas. Uh, again, uh, my uh, guest this hour has been uh, Danny Kafke, who is a teacher in the uh, Georgia area. Uh, his book is called How to Surv Survive and Perhaps Thrive on a Teacher's Salary. Uh, you can find out more about it at teachersalaryinfo.com. Thanks so much, Danny. It's been a fascinating uh, interview, and I hope people really enjoy the book. Thank you so much. Okay, thanks again, and we'll be back again next week.
Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.